saying, um, well, whether or not to reaffirm uh, Bo Chernikoff and John Forster as elders, and the other vote will be to vote on Martha Hallam joining the nominating committee. So, again, if you have questions about that, please see an elder. Okay, business stuff's done. <laughs> What's that? Children's Church, yeah. They made it. Children's Church, you can be dismissed. <laughs> Thanks, Tana. <laughs> we all need a Tana Walker in our life. All right. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about um, sadness and comfort. And one of the, I think it's a modern critique of church is that there's this idea out there, and some places it's real, sometimes it's perceived, but there's this, there's this idea out there that you cannot be sad at church. There's this idea here that you sort of need to put on your plastic happy face mask when you walk in the doors. And I think that's a critique because I think people see through just how unreal that is. It's not possible. And, and let me say that, that as we look at this idea of comfort in God's word, that, that the Bible is very real. That the Bible is big enough to support every aspect of life. And the Bible does not try to hide the fact that sadness and pain exist. And neither should we. Now, sometimes I think that this perception, because no one wants to be first. Nobody wants to be first to open up the world to their sadness. No one wants to be the first to share that, you know what, this week has not been good. Thank you for asking. It's been a really hard week. We don't want to be first because that's weakness we feel. And we set ourselves up to be dominated or manipulated. And so we don't want to go first. I think the other reason is that there's a level of difficulty in cultivating a depth of relationship that can handle sadness. You know, when I, go, when I go to the grocery store, when, when the person says to me, have a nice day, when I leave with my groceries, I don't say, you know, it hasn't been a nice day today, let me tell you. Because <laughs> there's not that depth of relationship. Maybe, you know, you know your cashier a little better than I know mine. But, but there's not that depth of relationship there. And it takes time and commitment to make those relationships. And a lot of times, we, we don't want to take the time for one reason or another. But what I want you to see in your Bible this morning is that the Bible does not pretend sadness doesn't exist. Sadness is a part of our lives. And we as a church, because our Bible doesn't hide from it, we shouldn't hide from it. And the other thing we need to understand is that 
God has given us his word to bring comfort. That God's word is the conduit of God's comfort. And we're going to see that in the text this morning. In fact, you see your big idea there, right in your bulletin. It's very simple. You can all memorize this by the time we're done. God comforts us through his word. So let's look at the text. Psalm 119, starting in verse 49. First thing we're going to see is that God's promises give me comfort. Follow along as I read verses 49 to 52. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. The beginning of this stanza is a very familiar way that your Bible talks. That word remember. And you're going to notice a couple times in this stanza that word remember comes up again and again. This is a prayer that is so common in your Bible. This idea of calling out to God to remember. Let me give you two examples from the book of Exodus. First one's Exodus chapter 2, verse 24. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. That's the beginning of the Exodus story. And when God remembers, he acts and saves his people. Let me give you one from Exodus chapter 33. This is Moses praying to God. This is Moses speaking here. Exodus 33, verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. This is a wonderful way for us to pray even today. God, remember what you have promised. And it's not that God forgot. God doesn't forget. But what it's calling God to do is that God has made a promise in the past and it's a call, it's a prayer, it's pleading to God fulfill that promise. God, remember what you promised and save me. Remember what you've promised and comfort me. Remember what you've promised and give me hope. Remember your people. Remember the relationship that you have with us and act on our behalf. Do what we cannot do on our own. Remember us in our pain. Because we see in the second part of verses 49 and 50 why he wants God to remember his promises. 
Look again at 49 and 50. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. The author's, the, the only source of hope for the author's future is the promises of God. The only hope of a good future is in the promises of God. And since whenever God promises something, he does it, we can have a certain hope in the future. When God speaks, it will happen. And when God promises, he will keep that promise. And so we can have hope. And again, I've spoken on this before, that without the certain hope of Jesus Christ, there's no other way to find hope. And that's a terrible place to be when you do not have hope. And our friends and our family who don't know Jesus, they do not have hope. But we can offer them a certain hope and a glorious future. He then says, look at verse 50. So he's calling God to remember his promises. And then verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction. That your promise gives me life. He's afflicted. He's in pain. He's sad. And in his sadness, in his pain, in his affliction, he finds comfort in the promises of God. Because he knows that God will keep his promises. He can live in the midst of affliction and pain because he knows that there's comfort because God's promises give life. And we know this in two ways. It's sort of one of those already but not yet that we see a lot in Scripture, that we can have life now and in living a way that glorifies God, that that is one way we can have life now, but we also look forward to eternal life where there is no more pain, Notice, that's one of the ways the Bible describes heaven. No more pain. No more suffering. No more sadness. And so when God promises that through Jesus we can have eternal life guaranteed for sure, that peace-filled, pain-less existence gives us comfort now because we actually have something to look forward to. Because through Jesus, we can have life today and forever. And that can give us comfort, knowing that our eternity is secure. Because if it was never going to get better, we'd lose hope. But we know it will get better. We know it'll be perfect. We know all the bad things of this life will be gone. And so we can have comfort today. Not a comfort found in just working harder. Not a comfort found in just filling our lives with more busyness, but a comfort found in the promises of God. And in verse 51, he goes on 
to say that he will not turn away from these promises even when he is mocked and derided. Verse 51, the insolent, the foolish, the arrogant utterly deride me, utterly mock me, but I do not turn away from your law. And this is presenting a reality that those who do not find their hope in Christ will mock those who do, will deride those who do, will try to push us away from the God of comfort. And so we shouldn't be surprised when this happens. You know, if if we're already in pain and affliction, then someone else comes and sort of rubs salt on it, trying to pull us away from Jesus. We shouldn't be surprised when that happens, but we need to be steadfast like the psalmist. That when he is mocked, when he is derided, he does not turn away from God's word. He won't do it. Because he knows the only source of real and final and eternal comfort is found through God's word. So he won't turn away. He won't turn away because verse 52, when I think or remember, there's that word remember again, When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort. So notice how this section begins. He's calling God to remember his promises. But he says, when I'm in the midst of my pain and suffering, what do I do when I'm sitting there? What do do I do when I'm lying in my bed in pain and sadness and depression? I remember God's word. Notice he's using remember in both those places. He's calling God to remember. And and there's a certain reliance on what God is going to do that supports us in the midst of pain. But at the same time, there's, there's, there's a realness to this because there's a calling out to God in prayer of remember and bring me comfort, but there's also what he's going to do in the meantime. What are you going to do while you're waiting in pain and sadness and depression? You're going to remember God's word. You're going to meditate on God's word to use, use a word we've seen before in Psalm 119. Because that's where the comfort is. In these promises, these promises that will happen. When, when we're in the midst of pain. There's going to be pressure on us to, to, to run away from God, to run away from his word, to, to just look inside ourselves and get sucked up in the pain and the sadness. But the psalmist in those times clings to God's word. We need to remember that as, as we think of the comfort that God offers, that, that we find it in God's promises that he will always keep to us. Now in the next couple verses, it it, it feels like he goes on a little tangent because he starts getting angry. But I want to show you how I think it fits in. But look at number two on your outline there. It says, when people reject comfort, I am angry. Look at verses 53 and 54. 
Hot indignation, anger seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. He's mad. He's in pain and he's mad. And who is he mad at? Look at the the text. He's mad at the wicked. How do you know someone's wicked? Well, they're the people who reject or forsake God's law. Now, this could refer to to other Israelites. People who had God's word, but, but actively chose to reject it. I think that's the best way to understand because when you talk about someone forsaking your law, there's this idea of an active rebellion and rejection of people who know better. And when they reject God's word, they are rejecting God himself. And that makes them wicked. These are people who probably have some knowledge of God's word, but but run away anyway. They want nothing to do with God and his word. And he's angry about it. He's angry that people don't see God's word for what it is. He's angry that even though they might be able to, to know God's word, they don't want to. They choose not to. They run away from God's word. But why? Why does that make him mad? Why, why does he care? Why doesn't he just say, you know what? You guys do what you want to do. I'll do what I want to do. It'll be great. We'll just get along and sing Kumbaya or something. Why is he so mad? Why is he mad about this? Why would just let them do what they want to do? Right? Just let bygones be bygones and, you know, let them, let them go what they want to do. He's angry. So we need to know why he's angry. Thankfully, verse 54 tells us why he's angry. Look at verse 54. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. In the house of my sojourning there, you think foreigner in a foreign land, a stranger, an immigrant. That he's in a strange land. And we've seen that metaphor throughout your Bible. That God's people living among sinful people, we feel like strangers and foreigners because we know this is not our final home. But he's mad because what keeps him going, what brings comfort and joy to his spirit, is God's word, and that's what these people are rejecting. He's mad at them because they're running away from the only source of comfort and life and joy. And that even in the midst of feeling like a stranger and a foreigner, God's word has allowed him to sing. And people have run away from that power. They're, they're, they're running away from, from God's word, which allows... God's people to overcome their circumstances. Now, now notice, it's not just that he's happy singing. Sometimes that, you know, there, there's different ways to sing. Let's just all be honest about that. 
Okay, when we sing together, sometimes, you know, it's like a happy singing. There's a, there's a rejoicing, there's, you know, there's a woo, some of you start clapping, it's great. But sometimes, there's a different singing, that when you're singing truth that you are clinging on to because it's the only sure thing in your life. When you sing in Christ alone, my hope is found because at that moment you don't have any other place of hope. God's word. God's word allowed the author that in the midst of pain and suffering and feeling like the only one out there who was following God God's word allowed him to sing. God's word moved in his spirit so that he could worship God even in the midst of pain and sadness and feeling like a stranger. And people reject that. People say, I don't need that. Well, guess what? You do. That's why he's mad. He's saying, look, you guys are running away from the only thing that can sustain you in, in this life, in this broken and fractured life. Because we all know deep down inside that whether we want to admit it or not that this world is broken. There is pain and death and sorrow. We know it's broken. You're just not being truthful if you don't think it is. And in the brokenness, in this deep brokenness, God's word supports the psalmist to where he can sing. There's freedom, there's joy, there's peace in that. And he's saying, don't run away from that. Don't run away from the only thing hard enough and strong enough to contain all that's wrong. Don't run away from the only thing that can support you when your life is chaotic around you. And it hurts him. And he's angry that the people he loves are running away from comfort. Because this is the only place of comfort. And then he turns back. And he says, I remember the God of comfort. Look at verses 55 and 56. And thinking back to, to, to coming through the hardest of times with, with, through God's word, he says in verse 55, I remember your name in the night, O Lord. And keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. In the midst of people running away from God, in the midst of all the pain and sadness 
He remembers. He remembers God. When it says, I remember your name, that's just another way to say, I remember you, God. I think about you. I meditate on who you are. And when he says, I remember your name in the night, I think there's two ways to understand that. First is is all the time. Like even at night, even when I'm, I'm just lying in my bed waiting to go to sleep, even then I remember you. The other way I, I think it could be that even when darkness surrounds me, because you feel like that sometimes, don't you? Even when it seems like darkness is just surrounding me, then I remember you then I can find comfort. Even then. Here's what it made me think of. It made me think of those times where you're lying in bed and all of a sudden your brain decides to think through every stressful thing in your life. (laughs) Where all of a sudden you've been exhausted, you've been working the whole day, and then all of a sudden, poof, there are your eyes. And your mind decides, let me think of every scary, stressful, hard thing in my life to, that I can't do anything about right now because it's, it's late at night. Can't call anyone, can't do anything about it. But I'm just going to think about it and stay up all night and get no sleep so I'm a wreck tomorrow. You know those nights? Where you cannot sleep. Because your brain decided finally to think of every single thing you've been thinking about. Every single moment of pain. Every single thing that makes you sad. Every moment from your past that affects you negatively today. Those hurts. That pain from back then. Whatever it was. Your brain thinks of it all. And you feel like your life's out of control. You feel like your life is just one big, massive, chaotic mess. In those times, we remember God. I will remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. That there is hope and blessing that, that, that when our minds are consumed with sadness, pain, affliction, the blessing is, is that we have the God who gives comfort. We have a relationship with the God who is sovereign over all things and gives comfort to his people. So even in those times, we remember God and his word. And through his word, we can receive comfort. I want to take you to a place that my mind often goes to. I want you to flip over to 2 Corinthians Because we all have those times of 
at night when we're just lying there thinking about everything. We all have that. And maybe part of this is we all just need to share that with one another. But I want to show you a place where God's word has brought me comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, if you're using uh, one of the chair Bibles, it's on page 964. And Norm, go ahead and put up that slide, thanks. It's on the slide if you want to follow along there. This is where I try to tell my brain to go when I have those moments. And you can go ahead and mark this in your Bible and, or highlight it so it's easier to see at night. Maybe find like a, a glow-in-the-dark pen or something. But let me read to you of a way that, uh, an example of how God uses his word to comfort us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. And he is a God who is described by showing mercy. But he's not only that, he is the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. That God had Paul describe him as the God of all comfort. The God who gives all comfort. The God who can actually give comfort in the midst of pain. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction. Not just some, not just a few, but all our affliction. So that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That God's comfort is so sure and so complete that we can then later on share it with others. That it becomes a part of who we are. It becomes a part of our character. It's become part of what we pass on and serve others. We, we don't give the comfort, we pass on God's comfort after we have received it ourselves. And we need to see, as, as we look through this idea of sadness and comfort in our Bible, that, that one reason God has given us his word is so that when we are sad, when we are hurt, because it will happen a lot, we can go to God's word for comfort. We're not hopeless. We're not just drudging through life, limping through life. But that we have the ultimate source of comfort. And as he has written it in his word, as he has given us passages like 2 Corinthians 1, that we can think on it in the night. That we can remember those promises because they are there and they are never changing. They're never going away. And the God who made those promises always keeps his promises. And so in our pain, in our sadness, through God's word, we can find comfort. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you that you do not leave us in our sadness, that you do not leave us in our pain, you do not leave us in our affliction, but you have promised to give comfort and that you communicate that to us through your word. That in the midst of the pain that we will experience, in the midst of the sadness we will experience, that we would not run away from you, but that we would run to you and cling to your word. God, that you would use your word today to bring comfort to us. That you would show yourself, that you would show your love to us by comforting us in our sadness, by comforting us in our pain. And that we would cling to those promises and cling to our trust in you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.